Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast, hosted by Brian Castle. Brian has been a financial advisor for over 35 years and is the founder of Four Star Wealth in Chicago. He will be sharing the most important investment opportunities out there in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from. Brian will also be interviewing subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting investment opportunities. To see all the best video highlights from every episode, please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, on to the episode. Okay, welcome back, everybody, to the Today's Market Explained. It's a four-star media event, and uh, we do uh, interviews with uh, important players in the financial world. We also do market commentaries. Today, we're going to do an interview, and this is really an interesting one. We have CJ Fellini with us. Uh, CJ, welcome to today's Market Explain. Hi, Brian. Thank you for having me. Uh, my pleasure. And CJ um, is coming at uh, us today to discuss um, investing in private investments, but a training program to help people understand what it's all about, which is something we haven't heard before. So Forrestar does a lot of alternative investing, uh, but uh, with, with our wealthy clients, the advisors inform their clients. This is a completely different process, and CJ uh, is here to tell us about it. Um, so, CJ, um, tell us a little bit about your background first, and then let's hear how you got into training folks about private investment. Sure, I was going to say when you were doing the intro that you do um, that you do interviews with important players. I was also going to say, and also CJ. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> and from that very nice little group. Okay. But uh, you're certainly uh, down. Yeah, well, thank you. That's very kind. Uh, I fished for that compliment, so uh, I fished hard. Uh, you know, let's see. I uh, I started a long time ago. My story starts with uh, Mia as a failed professional hockey player whose father uh, had a stroke, and he was a large builder uh, and and contractor in New York City, uh, where I born and raised. Um, and in my Teens, late teens, 18, 19, he had a stroke, very serious one. And we, I could say there were a lot of sharks in the water, and I mean human sharks. So the message was give up that career that's not going anywhere anyway, CJ, and you're going to come back and figure this out. This is a this is 87. Now, 87 is pre-internet. It was certainly pre-online learning. It was pre-accessible alternative investment. It was pre-a lot of things. And that all. And what happened was um, I had no mentors. I had no asynchronous online learning to help me with, with something that was very practical. How do I protect my immediate family and advance all of the, the alternative investment portfolio that we were very heavily allocated to, never having done it before, not knowing anything about it? How do I do this? Who can help me? Where do I learn? I had Zilchan the answer to all those questions. Luckily, I survived, uh, made every single mistake in the book, got out the other end, and actually figured out that I was pretty good at alternative investments, private investments, uh, in multiple asset classes. And that success, you know, coincidental though it may have been, that success brought referral and it, and other families. And then not only was I managing our immediate family, while well, even after my father recovered from his stroke, uh, partially recovered. But we brought other families, joined what was more or less a de facto multifamily office, 
we prefer to call it a co-investment syndicate. And it, okay. it at its largest five years ago, it was nine ultra high net worth families and a billion dollar assets under management. That's what I did for going on 30 plus years. The beginning was rough. And then again, I figured it out. And luckily I survived. You know, some people don't. We're trying to, we're trying to, we're building something for that 19 year old CJ, but the one who's now. The millennials, and it's about the great wealth transfer. Millennials and Gen Z are going to inherit $5 trillion in two years, Brian. Five? Wow. Trillion. Five trillion. That's right. And yes. Millennials specifically. And then if you go out 15 years, that number goes up to 40. And then if you go out 20, 21, I believe, and you add in Gen Alpha, you are looking at $72 trillion. This has never happened in the history of our planet, let alone the history of our country. Unprecedented. Wow. So I said to myself, I mean, and, and, and by the way, you know, COVID was a huge transition for us. I had been doing the same thing for 30 years. I now have two kids under three. And I said to myself, walking along the beach during COVID, I said, what is my legacy? I've been pretty good at what I did. I had a 23%, you know, IRR track record, you know, in multiple asset classes. What am I going to show my kids? A, a track record? A, a, yeah. a number? What was the bill? What am I right. leaving? And that's, and then as I started, and, and coincidentally, this whole great wealth transfer research really started to hit me. And I said, that's it. I, I'm doing fine. I'm fine for a lot of lifetimes, right? I'm fine. The people I invested in, they were fine before they ever met. They did a lot better with me. Yeah. They were fine for, so I was, yeah. you know, what's the real impact? I said, let's take all the mistakes I made, the learning from all the mistakes I made, everything I learned and pass it on for the next generation. So those bad mistakes and tragedies don't happen once this wealth transfers from baby boomer and Gen X, my generation, to millennial and Gen Z. Interesting. Well, good. So, so you're seeing this big wealth transfer, and you're you're involved in you're working with all these families. So, then where do you take it from there? Well, that's a very good question. I think that I, I'm not sure there is a from there because it's such a massive undertaking. You know, I um, I, I like big hairy goals, and I, I really don't think there's an end. I don't think there's an end in my life. I, really, I, I mean that. So. And, and again, what I did decide is, or decide, what I noticed and observed is that you cannot be a specialist. You cannot be fragmented. You have to be a holistic experience of education, mentorship, peer-to-peer interaction with live events, and the access to alternative investments, what you do and, and what Four Star does. So we actually started, we didn't talk about this in the preamble, Brian, but we actually started with the alternative investment access. We have five private placements that we sponsored. We're not going to sponsor more because in essence, we built six companies, but those five private placements are in the asset classes that have been our core, my core personal core strength for a long time, commercial real estate, diversified logistics, commercial real estate, um, private credit, um, fine art collectibles, uh, uh, consumer packaged goods, brands, right? Investing in brands and private equity. So th- that those were the asset classes that we trafficked in for a long time. And okay, we started those. Great. But we were. Well, I was going to say we raised one hundred and five. We raised one hundred and five million dollars for the first 
two, which was okay. commercial real estate, diversified logistics called Noyak Logistics, and then four and a half million for Noyak Fine Art. Okay. Very good. So so you were in the fundraising business. Um but you made you made a shift though now to not just being in that business, but in in more of the education business. So let's talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, so I'm, yes, we raise funds, but we're not fundraising. And I'll explain. I think that everyone historically, you know, sales, fundraising, I've always had a problem with it. Even when I was on the receiving end of it, and I have been for a long time. I had every major all in my office asking for our to allocate from our syndicate that I was the CIO of, BRE, um, uh, uh, Aries, Blue Owl, Fortress, them all. And I'll oh, yeah. ask some very basic, all the top 41, there's 41, even Harrison Street on a little bit smaller side. Um, and it was always about, this is why you should transact. It was always about, let's transact, let's do a deal. Now, I love deals. Right. I love talking deals. But I did recognize that there were some inherent problems with leading a relationship or starting a relationship with a transactional conversation. Mm-hmm. I always believe that these Fundraising should start with information and education offer. So our our funds raised comes from what we're building in the education, mentorship, and research areas. We focus on those. We build a club. We let everyone in the club inclusively, right? It's a walled garden, but it's a very, very big one. And then we say, when you're ready, and if you may, you may never be ready, but when you're ready, if you want to speak specifically to another sponsor of a private placement, another asset class that we don't sponsor or us, let us know. And if you don't, enjoy the club, enjoy the live event, enjoy the research and so on. Okay. So, um, but, the, but again, that's taken some different turns now and you've got a whole new program to train people who would not normally be the people who would be involved in this segment, right? That's what we were talking about earlier. Yes. Yes. Good. Well, let, yeah. So let's let's take it to that level now. Where, what it, what is your operation doing now? Uh, we're building the Noyak. It's a Noyak club. We just called we are Noyak, and and, it, yeah. and more or less it's a Noyak investing club where we teach twenty one to thirty nine year olds about personal wealth management, okay. specifically about the private investment universe as a key component of that personal wealth management. David Swenson, the same CIO of the Yale Endowment, had his mantra of getting the 30. He was a he was a zealot of modern portfolio theory. Norway, of my and my nine immigrant families, just like my own, we were way beyond 30% allocation to alts and private investment. In fact, we were more adherence to the postmodern portfolio theory. Well, it is proven right now, the, the survey data is that millennials are already allocated 18%, right now, 18% on average to alternative investments. My gen, my old ass generation, Generation X, and I, Brian, I'm not going to make <laughs> guesses on your age, but uh, I'm 6% in my generation, 6 So we six. are already in a generational shift three times the Gen X average allocation to all. And guess what? Gen Z will get to that David Swenson magical 30%. They will. 
So wow. if they're getting all this money from the great wealth transfer, they love private investment. They don't inherently trust the public markets. How are they going to do what they want to do and do it successfully? Right. That is the answer. That is the question that Noyak answers all the time. Let us give you the tools, the peer community, the education. I mentioned to you before, we have a 20, we have basically a digital campus. So you sign up for the club and you enter your digital campus and you can decide, I want to go to a couple live events. I need some research about specific alternative investment offerings. I have B-Read in my, I have B-read in my office and I want my money in 32 year old because I'm a hotshot lawyer at uh, Scadden Arps. Actually, Scadden Arps isn't big anymore. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Paul Weiss, Paul Weiss. They were uh, Paul Weiss. Uh, yeah. Once upon a time, it was Scadden Arps. Now it's Paul Weiss. Uh, and they're asking me questions that I don't know how to answer them. And I don't know if I should do it other than, you know, a friend at a party or someone on TikTok, which we all know how, you know, how, uh, how that goes, right. successful that is where that right. goes. Exactly. Right. Great. So, um, great. So tell me, tell me then, you know, with the, with the, the specific program of 21 to 39 year olds, more about this process. It's much more educational and and you know give us a little bit more detail about that and then how people can get involved sure well again uh, all uh, it's very simple uh, you go to we are noyak.com that's it that's our that's my shameless plug we, we are noyak.com you sign up it is free for the first six months because if you're not getting four times the value then and what's four zero it's a zero actually but it there is a there is a very small price for a year but we're giving six months free in order to build a community that feels valued. And I don't think asking for a dollar one when you first meet is the right way. That's what I meant by the transactional nature of fundraising and alternative investments. Currently, you should ask for dollars when you meet someone. You should say, how can I help you? So that's what we're trying to do. We are noyak.com, join the club. You can go into our digital campus. You There's a 22 modular, um, uh, uh, learning academy. We call it Noyak Academy. It is specific to the private investment universe, but there will be estate planning. There's a lot of products being launched. Estate planning, tax planning, um, uh, trust, uh, to, uh, your generational wealth transfer ideas and education, like a 529 and how to use that interactively with the, the new Roth and IRA, uh, the 401k and, and Roth IRA um, programs that are coming down the pike. So that well, great wealth transfer starts with the transfer. So that digital campus gives everyone the tools they need in order to get a good head start in personal wealth management. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like a much more comprehensive approach. And you mentioned David Swenson and the guidelines of 30% and halts and maybe perhaps no more, but your, your group had gone way beyond it and many investors have been way below it. Um, I can remember generations before mine did no alternative investment. They didn't even know what they were. And so and that's could, all. Even if you did, you couldn't access them. You could not they, access them. They were inaccessible yeah. for most. They were right. almost exclusively institutional at one point. Right. And now we're democratizing that through through different means. And certainly you're a, a leader in that. So can you can you maybe guess or tell me your thoughts as to why was this all happening? Why are the gen younger generations getting involved? Do they not? trust the stock market or, or they just have more access they to do not. what yeah 
No, I can give you the data points. So we've we've actually engaged in I want to say eighteen months of study. Look at every research. I'm, I'm I bank with Bank of America personally, and so did our former family office. So we have access to all of their research. They use Cerulean Associates, a, a an outstanding macro research firm in Boston. And so I've read almost everything there is to know about the Gray Well transfer. And here's what I learned that I actually gave in a keynote speech. I gave it to the Global FinTech Conference not too long ago. One, 21 to 39 year olds, I'll just say millennials, Gen Z, as a cohort, do not trust the public markets. Two, they don't, tr they don't trust their parents' advisors. That's really bad news for the RIA industry because right now, the retention rate of an RIA intergeneration, by the way, I'm speaking domestically. So all of this right, research okay. is domestic US. Should have said that up front. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen throughout the world. My research was specific to the US, but it is going to happen in every country, a little bit culturally different. But in this, so what I was getting at, so intergenerationally, the retention rate of registered investment advisors, when they pass the next generation, 13%. How is that future looking good if, if your industry is only retaining 13% of their of their passing of their existing clientele. That's bad. And then the, then the more the surveys also show that 60 over 60% of this inherited cohort of massive wealth get their information and education from and I quote a friend at a party TikTok or I'll just use TikTok for all social media and I don't know. I don't know it's the was the biggest one. So 61% is going, they're all going to inherit massive wealth. They have no idea what to do with it. For me, that is a, a mass, that's a country liability, not just for them, specifically, huge liability for them, but that's a potential domestic catastrophe in what could happen with this lack of practical education in personal wealth management. So there is a lot of data there, and, and the, the conversation is not really crystallizing in the way I thought it should. We're talking, again, that's the market of five trillion in just two years. Very interesting. Well, and so this is a great service. Um, do you think that the rise of alternatives among the younger set has something to do with the startup culture as well that's developed? Um, the, the, there's incubators in every state now and a lot of I startup do. companies. Yeah, okay, okay. Tell us I about that. Very much. That's, a, that's, that's an interesting point. I actually haven't heard it for, you know, uh, I haven't heard that point in that question phrased in, in that way. But I was thinking about that recently. You know, listen, the last 12 quarters of in this country have seen the greatest growth of SMB, small small to medium-sized business, small business, in the history of this country. And and every quarter, year-over-year year growth, I mean, quarter-over-quarter quarter growth. And a lot of those are so small that they're solopreneurs. And, of course, if you are on LinkedIn at any, for any five minutes, you're going to see the word solopreneur. Entrepreneur, definitely, but also solopreneur. So everyone is advocating this DIY mentality in creating business. And I think the rise of venture capital over the last 25 years was the fire. That was the what lit the match. The rise of BC and the actual crowning of startup founders. They were kings. Elon Musk, Zuckerberg, not, not so much anymore. They're not looked at the same way. They're bred. But once upon a time, last 20 years, these startup founders were the celebrities. Elon Musk, you can still argue with a celebrity right now. So right. all of these things have played to 
and to the, the generations that they're now being inculcated with the media that if you want to make it, I mean, really make it, you got to do it for yourself, not go be part of a, a cog in a giant wheel. And that has taken hold in these generations very much. I mean, listen, I, I, I am not going to advocate what Kevin O'Leary says on LinkedIn. I think it's blathered. But his point is he's tapping into a mainstream of conversation. That's what clickbait is about. Okay. And that mainstream conversation is about entrepreneurship and even specifically solopreneurship. Do it yourself. Be a content creator. Build a small business of one. And and that's both good and there's some bad to it, which we'll leave for another podcast. But that's that's the movement. And for millennials and Gen Z, that's where it's going. They want to be in control. They want to be in control. That's really what solopreneurship and entrepreneurship is about. And when you're an RIA and you see that retention rate and you see a mentality that wants to be in control, I think, I think you better start figuring out how to speak to this group pretty darn quick and in a different way. Yes. Well, and, and the big the big talk in the last decade or so has been all about cryptocurrencies, which is a, a form of alternative, uh, however you want to slice it and dice it. How would how would that fit into any of the discussions that you're having? And what kinds of things do you talk about relating to crypto? Oof. That's a, Brian, that's <laughs> once upon a time that was the abortion uh, issue for a politician. Uh yeah. you bring up crypto to a traditional uh, alt and, and, and wealth manager like myself or one I used to be traditional. Okay. And it's a big topic too. So let me let me see if I can condense this. First of all, digital assets is something we speak about. It exists. It's important. It has grabbed the intention, probably a a predominant amount of uh, attention from the cohorts, from the demographics I'm talking about. So definitely a topic that absolutely needs to be addressed and considered. Ah, that's the issue. For example, I think that as a as a toolkit framework, it is going to revolutionize digital authentication. It's going to revolutionize authentic authentication. It's going to revolutionize the recordation of ownership, just like a title. Once upon a time, there was no deed ownership of real estate or a title or title companies, right? And then there were. For actualizing your car and representing that with a with an embedded uh, with an embedded smart contract. Uh, in a, uh, a, a on chain, imagine that. So, that. do I see it as a store of value? That's where I start to diverge from the conversation, and that's where I get a lot of pitchforks thrown at me. I do not see a lot of digital assets as stores of value. That is my opinion. That is my what my research tells me. I'm going to get I'm going to get attacked for that over and over. But as a means of underpinning the entire asset economy, it will be game-changing on the positive. So why do you think it's not a store bit? I think stores of value have to have an intrinsic, an intrinsic use case beyond finding someone who thinks it's worth more than you do. Okay. An intrinsic use case is shelter. An intrinsic use case is transportation. An intrinsic use case is uh, um, clothing myself so I don't physically have pain. 
entertaining myself so I don't become a depressed monomaniac. Right? <laughs> entertain right. as a as a real use case. So my point is that if I cannot identify an intrinsic use case, and it all depends on forgive me for this, but I do believe this. And this is only, I, I don't monger another thing, but greater fall theory. I do believe, you know, I don't want to say fool. It's just that when something only has value in a relative subjective way to two different people on the opposite side of a trade without any intrinsic use case in the middle, that's where I have a problem. And that's why I don't. Okay. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Well, it's not beyond crypto to develop a, a intrinsic use case, use case over time. Uh, it's just a matter of how. There, I think there's one right now, Brian. I think it's possible, right? Now. Okay. I mean, what do you there think? is a use case. Hold on. The original use case was money laundering. We all know. I mean, if anyone doesn't think that's the, the original use case, then you should learn to come to our Noyak Academy and you'll learn a lot better. Um, but, but now that that use case has really been eliminated rightfully so, there is a use case. The use case is to decentralize the authentication of asset ownership, make it transparent. When we're talking about alternative investments, right? A lot of them are not transparent. The ownership of them are not transparent. The cap tables, ask B-Read for their cap tables. See what you get. See if you even get a call back. You won't. Um, so I think the use case is transparency. Transparency of asset ownership. You, everyone should know what everyone who owns what and how much and why. That's another radical belief. And that comes from someone who's, look at my hair, look at my head, right? That's as legacy as it gets, all right? Yeah. So um, as you know, Four Star's done a lot of alternative investing. I've personally done a lot of angel investing, uh, being an original member of the Hyde Park Angels there out of University of Chicago. And the angel metrics haven't changed over the entire time I've been involved with returns are high. The variance variance in returns is also very high. Um, do you see any of that changing? Could that be why more people are getting involved or is it just proximity to the product and culture changes that are causing this? Because we haven't seen any change in the angel results over the last, they're high and very good, but we haven't seen a new change in the last 50 years. What's your thought on that whole um, wow, you're really asking some some big questions, stuff. Again, each one of these could be a whole podcast. Uh, okay, so I've I've made 75 direct investments as a CIO family office. What was my track record? I think if you look generally, my track record was above average to good, pretty good. And then I look back and I say, relative to the absolute dollar value, of all of that work we end adding in the time and the due diligence and the portfolio management as a direct equity investor. And then relative to other asset classes. So when you put in the opportunity cost of time and effort, it did not come out very well. It does not. When you look at a, on a, in an absolute black and white return, like a total return basis, it's great. And it also achieves a, a tail end, a tail end um, return case with volatility, right? To mix in with more stabilized returns and more middle market returns and private equity. So it is absolutely a critical part of a diversified and, and risk diversified portfolio. However, 
it is one of the few places I think should not be democratized. Okay. Okay. Because I think the risk, the inherent risk of angel investing, which is why I do believe in grouping uh, Golden Seeds. I was a board member of Golden Seeds. I have a female founder thesis. Again, another time uh, that really just had to do with the amount of flows of capital in and out of female founders, et cetera, et cetera. A high park angels. I agree with that shared risk mentality. I really do. And I sort of agree with the use of general partners as a means of doing venture equity investments, as long as the alignment, they have skin in the game, they have their own money invested, and their fees are reasonable and aligned with the investor LP, with the LP, right? I believe in that too. But I would say now that becoming a direct investor as a, in venture equity, especially on the early stage for an individual is not a good idea. Okay. Well, and, and, uh, you, you know, since the metrics haven't changed, there are many aspects of alternative investing that are very distasteful as you, as you have said, uh, as well, where the variance returns is very high. Some people can't get comfortable losing everything in a deal. Uh, a lot, a lot of issues like that. So maybe, maybe we'll see some of that play out as a lot of the people are being trained, learn or learn to not like it, but maybe they will like it. But at least at least you're you're showing them the door. You're showing them the information that they need to make a decision. And we'll see how things play out. Um, That's the idea. I, I want to say one last thing. I, the first thing that I teach people about venture equity, especially early stages, you cannot anticipate duration. Everything, of course, everything's about diversification. That's the first rule. But the second rule is diversifying many ways, diversifying across risk, diversifying across asset classes, diversifying across amounts, and diversifying across duration, time in the investment. Guess who didn't do that? SVB and Signature, SVB primarily. Completely risk management breakdown on one aspect, duration. How do you have an entire tail end majority in a long-term duration with zero diversification. So when I say to individuals on a personal management, if you're looking at venture, it's fun, it's exciting, it's all these things. But if you cannot estimate in any way the duration of your investment in this, then it's really a hobby for the individual. And it should be looked at that as that. Now That's you can look at it as, as part of a portfolio through experts have a better data set to give you an estimate of duration. Uh, we invest in this sector a couple hundred times. This, these are our return metrics and amounts, and this is our average hold. Okay, based on uh, based on that uh, data sample, you can make an estimate. But if you're a direct LP, you're never going to have that. Right, right. Well, they often say that track records don't mean much in alternatives because. The circumstances keep changing so much, and the variance is so high that it's hard to really quantify all that. But uh, but I understand. I understand. Imagine thirty five year olds who have never experienced an interest rate environment uh, over over a two percent discount rate. Imagine all those who are now when they're they're about forty. That I I was there in eighty seven, and I remember my father looking his fingers what right before he had a stroke. We were asleep, hooking his fingers in this and saying. Look at that. National Westminster Bank, we have their best interprimate lending rate for our warehouse line as a, as a business. Their best rate, 
and he was proud. That's the last time we're in this environment. And yeah. that's 40 years. So people who have been in business for only 20, 25 years, they had no contact of what is happening right now. In fact, getting back to venture equity, when was you're not competing with other VC. You're competing with the treasury, with the Fed. You're competing with a 5% treasury rate because people are like, can I go into this VC fund or should I go to sleep at night and put my money in a seven-year 5% T-bill? Hmm, I think that's where I'm going to go. Well, and, and that's true. We've seen that in various markets when the long bond went over 10%. That was a month, month later, we had the crash of 87. So when, when uh, a fixed rate goes high and they're going higher in the short run, the short rates, it, it creates competition for all the other riskier assets that are out there. And so that's really an issue right now. We'll see how that plays out over the next few months. I don't anticipate mm -hmm. seeing 5% money markets forever, uh, but uh, but certainly it's an issue right now. Um, I agree. Uh, I agree. By the way, great call out on 87. I remember Black October. I remember that I was young, but I remember it. Well, I so was there. 2001. Yeah. So that was an interesting time. And 2001, weirdly, was not an interest rate, um, was not an interest rate inflected uh, um, venture crash. It wasn't. It was a liquidity. It was a, a, it was a deflationary liquidity crash. Um, but both, both are something that people should maybe research when they're looking at today. I, I, I do believe I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be Jeremy Grantham and say the end is nigh. I'm not going to do that. Uh, and it's not. It's not. But I think what you brought up, two different, very significant times should be learned from. Well, and, and you know, we, we, we don't operate in a vacuum in the investing world, whether it be uh, private equity, private investing of any kind, or public market investing. Monetary factors definitely affect us in the, in the aggregate sense between countries within your country and all those issues. So we have to be aware of that. But um, you know, just understanding that uh, there are generally better returns from alternative investing, and that's why people do it. What was the case that David Swenson made? Why, why would they do 30%? What would you? What would because you, you can't achieve, you can't, I mean, the, 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 the real point was you cannot achieve true diversification from a 60-40 portfolio. That's what he said. I mean, that's the, that's the most succinct way of of a very complex issue of, of again modern portfolio theory and then into postmodern portfolio theory you need you need non-correlated uh investments that's a big one instead of a 60 40 and you also need factors that are not driven by emotion and a lot of the 60 40 is driven by emotion how do people feel today is it are they feel like buyers or sellers right you need things that are divorced from the human element and a lot of alternatives do not allow you to make a decision when you're feeling like shit well yeah that's right it's right well good so so what do you think will come out of all of this cj the training that you're doing of younger investors their uh their in, you know in, intensity about investing in private investing will 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 that change the outlook of the investing world over the next couple decades Brian, if I could answer that, then I will invite you to my private island in a few years. <laughs> but I can't. Very well. I, I would have a, I would have a very, 
Yeah, uh, Richard Branson with uh, with uh, be envious of the island. I would have if I could answer that question. Um, I do think, in all seriousness, I think that this what I'm well, what I'm talking about, and the idea of education, the growth, wealth, great wealth transfer, supporting that. That is not a two. It's not even a, a five. It's really, I want to say, the earliest you're going to get an indication of the answer to your question, good question, earliest seven to ten years. And I'm not sure as a 56-year-old I'm going to be I'm going to be spry enough to remember. Hey, I gotta call Brian. I gotta give him that answer. Look at what I learned. Ten years, 66. Now I know. I think I know where it's going. And even that, it'll be another 20 years of answers. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Well, we've seen uh, we we we've covered uh, we've covered the subject of training and why that's important and, and and why what you're doing is important for the industry. We've also since opened up so many other. So other discussions are we're going to have to do a follow-up, CJ, I think, because uh, I think our time is coming through. We didn't even day. talk about the future of education generally, Brian. I think, the, well, I think that, you know, that last question, which I tried not to vector and digress from, I think opens up, it opens up the door to discuss where is the future of education broadly, not just financial education or personal management education or alternative investment education. What is happening to education across the board? That's a great, great topic. Well, maybe that'll be the topic for our next meeting. Then we'll have to we'll have okay. to kind of tee that one up, CJ, and, and discuss it. But yep. uh, and yeah, then your best fall beer could be a fall to that. Absolutely, that discussion great. Thank you. And uh, but but it is it is good to talk to you. It's impressive to see what you're doing as far as training and education and how how can folks get involved? The uh, people in in that cohort that you're targeting, how could they get involved? If you are a millennial and Gen Z, whether you're inheriting money or not, but you just want to learn how to protect your future and create generational wealth, please visit. And look at me, they actually trained me to do this. Please visit wearenoyak.com. That's wearenoyak.com. Join the club. And that comes with an academy, modular education, research, mentorship opportunities, as well as live events to learn from each other. It's not a we're the lecturer and an all being know it all and we're telling you the way it is. It's we are want to learn together, including ourselves, to win together. That's the yes. Idea. It's Thank a you. great idea. Yeah, you know, no problem. It's a great service, and uh, you know what we we do see a lot of investors work with thousands of families at Four Star. We see an awful lot of you know ready aim shoot uh, where people uh, don't know what they're doing and they jump into areas of investment uh-huh. without any training. And maybe you can get by in a good stock market, but in the alternative world, you better be trained. You better know what you're doing, or you're going to make a lot of really, really dumb mistakes. And those those mistakes are going to be big, and they're going to hurt. I, so we, we, the last thing I want to say about that, about those years, either I just not too long ago, a banker said, "Look at our track record, 2013 to 20, 2019." I'm like, come on, really? Yeah, those are the years you chose. Uh, uh, I think a donkey. Throwing a, a dart over its shoulder could have uh, that was a bull market uh, as well. Yeah, that's right, as well as a bull market. But your point is well taken: is that education is really needed when things change, and things are changing all the time now. They really are. Well, great. Well, thank again. Thanks for providing that, and, and thanks for your service. And and folks can sign up with you and learn, and that's a great thing. And then uh, certainly anybody who wants to talk with four-star and any of the advisors 
uh, at our firm concerning any of these subjects is is welcome. You can call us right at our our home office number three one two six six seven seventeen fifty. You can ask for me, and we'll make sure that you get to an advisor, and we can connect you as well with CJ and and his group. So um, I think we're going to leave it there, CJ. Thanks everybody for being with us today. Thank, Thank you, you, CJ, for being. Thank here. you, Brian, for having me. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back again with another interview. We'll probably do a follow-up uh, with CJ uh, sometime soon and open up some new topics. And we'll go from there. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way you can support us is to leave a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you heard something here that someone else you know will find value from, please share the episode directly with them. Want us to answer your investing question directly on the next episode? Go to todaysmarketexplained.com, scroll all the way to the bottom, and submit your question. Please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see the best moment video clips from every episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and keep on growing out there, everyone.